In the Harry Potter books, there's a character named Draco Malfoy. Uh, Draco is a bully, and he takes bullying to a new level. He doesn't only pick on fellow students, he's even a bully to the teachers and the principal of his school. He he tries his luck there. Uh, The big reason for this is his dad. His dad is powerful and well-connected, and because of this, Draco lives like he's above the law. Because of who his dad is, he thinks he doesn't need to listen to anyone. Sadly, I've seen this kind of attitude in Christians. I used to be part of a beach mission team. A beach mission is where a bunch of Christians get together to reach out to people on their summer holidays. Our team went on a, went to a caravan park on the Tweed River and ran programs for children and teenagers to tell them about Jesus. Uh, one year there was a guy on the team, but he wasn't really on the team. He thought he could do whatever he thought he should. He'd like to go and play guitar, sing Christian songs down by the river while the team was cleaning up or preparing for our next activity. And when the team leaders pulled this guy up and told them, hey, we're a team and we need to work together, he said, I've got the Holy Spirit. I'll do whatever the Holy Spirit tells me to do. Uh, Because God was his king, he wasn't going to listen to mere human leaders. That sounds fair enough, doesn't it? If Jesus is our king, why do we need to listen to any other lesser human worldly, sinful and imperfect authority? Isn't it actually a denial of the power of God to submit to human authority? It sounds blasphemous, people putting themselves in the place of God. And isn't it an unnecessary imposition, a limitation of our freedom to listen or obey to any other authority? Isn't it restrictive and oppressive when Jesus died to set us free? When the Bible says, wherever the Spirit of God is, there is freedom. This is the question, the bit of the Bible we're listening to today answers. If Jesus is King, if God is the Almighty, if the Spirit gives freedom, why should Christians, or what should Christians do with human authorities like governments and bosses especially when they're nasty. Now, last week we found out who believers are. We are God's new people. Our identity isn't based on nationality or family, but is in Christ. In Christ, we are a holy nation, a chosen people, and we exist to declare God's glory. And this means We're foreigners and exiles in this world. Not literally, we have homes, we're citizens of a country, but at a deep level, our home is with God. And so in this life, we're exiles. And this creates a tension. We're literally citizens of Australia. We have homes in Gympie, but that's not who we really are. And this tension creates Temptation. Uh, Temptations from inward sinful desires and from external pressures to conform. So have a listen from verse 11. So this is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. 
Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Have you felt these twin pressures, evil desires within, accusations outside, pressure to conform? They come because we live in the now but not yet. Now we are citizens of heaven, but we're not there Yet, right now, we are foreigners and exiles, and so we battle against indwelling sin. Although we've tasted that the Lord is good, and there are times we crave pure spiritual milk, we've also got an unrefined palate, and we tolerate sour milk. And so, the battle goes on. This is the war Christians are called to fight. Not a war against the world, not a culture war, but a war against our own sinful desires. That's the first pressure. There's also the pressure to conform to the external world. Because we don't live as citizens of this world, Christian behaviour doesn't fit in. And sometimes we're even accused of doing wrong. Now I wonder... If we were reading this sentence 20 years ago, we might have thought this was a bit strange. Uh, For most of us, if we've been a Christian for a long time, we're used to people not understanding where we're coming from. Australian culture has never been friendly to people who take Jesus seriously. I mean, the first church building was deliberately burnt down. But it used to be that genuine Christians didn't fit in because we were considered wowsers or or goody two-shoes. But this is changing. Some Christian beliefs are no longer thought of as just a bit strange, but as harmful, dangerous and evil. Sometimes Christians are now thought of as the bad guys. And to dig uh, a bit more into this, I really recommend Stephen McAlpine's book, Being the Bad Guys. Now, sometimes this has been deserved, hasn't it? Think about the Royal Commission into how some churches and Christian organisations have responded to abuse. The world was right to call us out Christians on this. And wasn't it sad that it took the world to tell us how to live for Jesus? But in some cases, Christians have become the bad guys just for following Jesus brought before anti-discrimination tribunals or the HR department of work. It's not very common, but it does happen. How does Peter say we should respond? What should we do when we find ourselves as the bad guys? Should we fight the system, lobby to get laws changed in our favour? Well, that's not what the Bible says. Look at verse 12. Peter says, be the best bad guys around. Live confidently for Jesus. And that'll be attractive. Do nothing that makes you deserve the title. Live faithfully for Jesus and guess what? Some people will see this. They'll see God's way is good. That we've got a better story. A story full of grace and hope. And some people will stop hating Christians and come to love and trust in Jesus. Now, these two verses, verse uh, 
These two verses are the overview for what we're about to read this week and next week. In general, this is how we're to live in the now, but not yet, as foreigners and exiles. Next, Peter goes into what this means in two contexts where it is hard to live in this tension. Context number one is the government, and the second context is the first century household. So first up, government. If we're God's holy nation and a royal priesthood, how should we relate to human kings and governors? Because Jesus is Lord, we're told to honour and submit. Verse 13. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honour the emperor. Now, first up, we've got to get things in the right order. In the ancient world, the Roman emperor was God. Julius Caesar declared himself to be a god, to be lord. His son, Augustus, took on the title son of God. It's like the Kims in North Korea. This was the kind of world this letter was written to. But Peter gets things in order straight away. In verse 13, where it says human authority, literally it says human creation. Governments, emperors, premiers, prime ministers are mere human creations. They are mere human authorities. They are not God. Yet, God calls us to submit to their authority. Not to submit to them as God but because Jesus is Lord. Because we are under the authority of the risen and reigning Lord Jesus, we freely submit to human authorities. There's no competition. It's not as if obeying the government is in competition with obeying Jesus. No, because we bow down before the Lord Jesus, we demonstrate this by submitting to lesser authorities. The freedom we have in Jesus isn't freedom to do whatever we like. That's what verse 16 says. Christian freedom isn't libertarian, free from any sort of restriction. No, it's freedom to live the way we were created to be under our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We've got fish at home. That is not their tank. Uh, If we took a photo of their tank, it would be just mainly green haze. A fish might feel constrained by its tank. But fish freedom isn't found by jumping out of the tank. That might sound like freedom, no constraints for me, but it leads to death. True freedom is found in the water, in the tank, where they're free to flourish as fish are created to be. The freedom we have in Christ is freedom to do good. And it's good for us because it means that we're following Jesus who loves us and who gave himself for us. And it's also good for us because it will silence many critics, verse 15. 
In the ancient world, many were suspicious of Christians. In many countries of the world today, governments are suspicious of Christians. Will they be good citizens when their highest allegiance is to Jesus? Well, when Christians, as much as possible, submit to the government, it puts those fears to rest and creates an environment where even kings and rulers might see our good deeds and come to trust in Jesus themselves. But if you were listening closely, I said, as much as possible. At the moment, many of us hear the word submit, verse 13. We hear submit and start looking for a way out. What if I don't want to submit? What if I think the government's making bad decisions and enacting rules I don't like? If Jesus is our Lord, what do I do then? Uh, This topic of submitting to government, a few years ago, I reckon almost every preacher, when they got to this passage, goes to the example of obeying speed limits. Because those are rules many of us find ourselves breaking, especially when you're out on a country road that looks like you could do whatever you like on it, even though we know we shouldn't. But in the last 18 months, there's been loads of new rules and directives from the government. It's been overwhelming and difficult at times. You you can wake up in the morning and there's a new rule impacting everything you do. You've got to wear a mask. You've got to check in wherever you go. Now, for most of us, most of the time, following the laws and rules of government is second nature. But when things change, it raises questions especially when some people, some Christians, say you should not follow the rules, that by submitting to these new rules, you're being a sheeple. What do we do? The question we need to ask is, will following the law mean I'm sinning against God? Will obeying the law mean I'm sinning against God? So is it a sin to wear a face mask? Well, maybe if you're wearing a face mask as you rob a servo, though the sin there is stealing, not wearing a mask. So no, wearing a mask is not a sin. Uh, Is it a sin to provide your contact details through an app when you go to a shop? No. Is it a sin to disobey the government? Most likely, yes. That's what God says, verse 13. If Jesus is your Lord, what should you do? The answer's pretty easy. Let's try that with another situation. A new law says you can't pray to any God except King Darius. If you're in a situation like Daniel in the Old Testament, it is a sin to not pray to the true and living God. It's a sin to treat a mere mortal like God. In that case, you can't obey the Lord. Sorry, you can't obey the law because Jesus is Lord. Now, I think those examples are clear cut. Praying to the king and not to God, checking in on an app. But there will be times it's harder to work out whether obeying the government or not is a sin. And Christians might disagree exactly how to respond in a way that glorifies God and lives with Jesus as our Lord. And it'll take prayerful consideration, talking with other believers. 
But I think most of the time asking, is it a sin to do what the government says? Is it a sin to disobey the government? It makes the decision pretty clear. But does this posture towards government, where we submit to things that are not sinful, is there a risk where that if Christians quickly obey things like masks and check-ins, we'll lose our discernment, we'll become weak, we'll just toe the line without thinking? The Bible says the opposite. If we submit to the government because Jesus is Lord, then when it comes to a time when we have to obey God rather than man, when like Daniel and his friends we have to worship God and not the king, well because we have submitted to the government in every other way, it will show to the world that we are not rebels at heart, but that in all things we are fearing God and submitting to his absolute divine authority. But what about if you think the law is a bad law? Not necessarily sinful for you to obey, but the government shouldn't require you to do something or ban you to do from doing something else. Well, in our political system, the way we submit to the government includes engaging in the process. So call up the local member. Go to their office, write letters, sign petition, run for office. If you feel really strongly, hire a lawyer and take the government to court. And as you do those things, whilst you're doing what you can to change things, you submit, you obey. And this isn't just through gritted teeth. Verse 17 says to honour the king. We honour those in authority by obeying. But more than that, pray for them and find ways to be thankful for what they do. Pray that they will make decisions that make it easy for us to live peaceful and quiet lives. You don't have to agree with their decisions to pray for them and to be thankful for the weight of responsibility they've taken onto their shoulders. When I talked about masks and check-in, some of us might have been feeling pretty smug about that, thinking, I've been pretty righteous when it comes to that. I think very few of us honour those in authority. It's Aussie culture to sledge politicians, to laugh at the government, say they're incompetent, to mock, slander. And I need to confess this includes me. I've been convicted this week reading 1 Peter 2, I need to not join this national sport. And I'm guessing I'm not the only one. Wouldn't we stand out in our culture if we honoured politicians and did what the Bible said? Doesn't mean you give them a free pass. Honouring means taking them seriously enough to hold them to account but also not joining in when everyone else is just having a go at them. So that's the government. If we fear God, we show this by honouring and submitting to those in authority. Uh, The next authority Peter goes to is masters. Now, we're not going to go into the whole slavery thing today. Uh, If you want to hear more, uh, look up the talk on our website from about September last year when we were doing Ephesians. But just briefly, 
Roman slavery was different from modern American slavery. In the first century, most slaves weren't kidnapped, but either sold themselves or were born into slavery. And most people who were enslaved were paid enough that by, say, about 30 years old, they could buy their freedom. What does Peter say to the Christians who were enslaved? And they should submit to their master. Verse 18. Slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. We're going to be much briefer here. Uh, first thing, uh, Peter doesn't say anything to masters. Did you notice that? I assume this means most of the Christians were not slave owners, but a significant number were enslaved. Why doesn't Peter talk about abolishing slavery? Because he's not talking to people who've got the power to do it. He's telling enslaved Christians how to bring glory to God. And as we heard in verse 12, they're to live godly lives, do what is good no matter what. But how on earth is someone meant to bear up under unjust suffering? Think about Joseph in the Old Testament, sold into slavery, falsely accused, thrown into jail. Things like this were probably happening to these early Christians. How can they endure? By being conscious of God, which means doing what they know is right before God, but also trusting God will bring Justice. Now, what are we meant to do with this passage? We can't equate slavery and work. If you're being treated unjustly at work, you can quit. Give notice, say goodbye. It's not like you've got to buy your freedom. Employment is not enslavement. But the broader principle applies. Because Jesus is Lord we willingly and joyfully submit to the boss and the managers. We don't slander and badmouth them, and we give them no reason to talk badly about us. Why? Because you are a representative of Jesus wherever you are, especially at work. But let's go back to that suffering unjustly, because that's been a constant in this passage. Back in verse 12, Pagans falsely accuse Christians. Verse 15, silencing ignorant people. Verse 19, unjust suffering. Since Jesus is king, since he is risen and and is the ruling Lord of all, why do Christians suffer? Three times in this passage, it is the reason Peter is writing these things. Why, If Jesus is Lord, why on earth do his people suffer? Well, from verse 21, we get the answer. It's because Jesus has called us to take up our cross to suffer. It's because this is the example of Jesus. Verse 21, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. 
How did Jesus respond to suffering? He was absolutely innocent. If you're picked on at work for following Jesus, there's a chance part of that's because you deserve it. You've been a jerk. But not Jesus. He's totally innocent. Yet he suffered and he never retaliated. Not even speaking back. How is that possible? Because he put himself in God's hands. He trusted God was in control, even of suffering, that God would bring good out of evil, and didn't he ever? And trusting God would bring justice on those who were attacking him. When we're getting attacked and we lash out, it reveals our heart, it shows we're not trusting God. Now, don't hear me wrong, Justice is not revenge. Reporting a crime to the police is not revenge. It's not trying to get even. Reporting a workplace bully to your boss is not revenge. If your boss is the bully and you take the boss to court, that's not revenge. Seeking justice is not the same as lashing out. In fact, it's trusting God will work through the process. So how must you and I respond to unjust suffering? By following the example of Jesus. But Jesus' innocent suffering is much more than an example. Yes, it is an example. But his suffering achieves something ours never will. Jesus suffered in our place to reconcile his people to God. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus suffered physically. His body is now scarred with physical wounds. He did this to heal your spiritual wounds to save us from sin, to bring us back to God, to change us by his spirit that we would now live for righteousness, including the righteousness of submitting to every human authority. This is our king. And because of Jesus, the God of the universe is our father, which gives us confidence to freely submit to every human authority. Let's pray. Almighty Father, please give us confidence knowing that you are God, that your spirit lives in us, that Jesus has suffered and died to bring us to you. Strengthen us to live for righteousness, that we might live in a way that is attractive, that shows that Jesus gives life, that you have a better story. Help us do this, especially when people might think we're the bad guys for following you. And please use our lives and words to bring people to see your glory. Help us be people who boldly and confidently submit to human authorities for your glory. Please give, please give us governing authorities that are easy to submit to. Help us honour those who serve in government. Lead us away from sin. Help us discern when it would be sinful to submit and when we are rebelling against you by disobeying the government. Thank you so much for Jesus, for his example of enduring suffering, 
Strengthen us to live in the light of his example. Thank you so much that his suffering was more than an example, but that he suffered physically to heal us spiritually and restore us to you. Amen.